chapter 1. Our study this evening will begin in verse 8 and really will end in verse 11, 12. We may go a little further, but we need reminders as well from the previous verses. First point is useful and fruitful, useful and fruitful. We see verse 8. And we see the word for, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. And when we see that, we say, what qualities? Of course, these are the qualities or virtues that are to be present within the Christian life that are found in verse 5 through verse 7. We read those a little while ago. We'll look at those again right now. We recall verse 1 through verse 4, who we are in Christ. Look what God has done for us. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we see that and we say yes and amen. Now, verse 5, for this very reason also, apply in all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence, your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. And we examined those, we looked at them, we studied them, we remember that these are not building blocks, we have to conquer one before we can get to the other. No, it's, we are, it's, they're like the fruit of the Spirit. We're to have and exhibit all of these. And we struggle as Christians, as um, as still as we, we have sin, and of course, these, we have not arrived in these, in any of these, but we press on, and that's what we are called to. And Peter makes it clear that a Christian, someone who is described in verse 1 through verse 4, will have observable fruit in their life. That is something that will indeed take place, and he's not a, ashamed of putting that out there for us, and neither is the Apostle Paul. I mentioned in my prayer orthodoxy and orthopraxy, and we can have the right theology, and we should have the right theology, and we should study these things out. We should study systematic theology, biblical theology. We should study the redemptive history of Scripture. We should memorize Scripture. We should uh, land um, and have a theological grid and land on different uh, theological perspectives through study and through blood, sweat, and tears, as it were. And we say, yes, I, I have this position now because of my wrestling with the word of God, because I see it right here, such doctrines as election, predestination, uh, just to name a few, of um, salvation as Uh, redemption accomplished and applied. We understand these things. But then the orthopraxy, then how must we live? We say we believe these things. Are we living in a way consistently that lines up with who we say we are and who the Bible says we must be? And that is the challenge for us this evening 
and that is necessary for us, and we must be useful and fruitful. Considering being useful, we don't want to be useless, right, as the contrast in the kingdom of God. We want to be useful. I remember uh, a pastor who used to tell me, in your life, whatever you do, don't be put up on the shelf serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to be put up on the shelf just collecting dust, collecting rust, and be useless, sidelined, right? We want to be useful, and indeed, we must be fruitful. These qualities, these virtues are fruits that will be present as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that as soon as someone is converted, like the thief on the cross, automatically he's going to live perfectly? And no, we understand that's not the case. But indeed, sanctification will begin and fruit uh, will be evident. The word for here again connects this verse, verse 8 with verse 5 through 7. If these are yours and are increasing, a better word may be abounding in the life of the believer. If these are yours and are abounding, your knowledge of Jesus Christ will be useful and fruitful. In other words, if you're not living it out, your knowledge, your true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be useless to others. Doesn't matter how much you know. If you're living in a way and acting in a way and speaking in a way consistently, it is contrary to what you say, we say that we believe, that's a problem. These are to be abounding in the life of the believer. So therefore, we will be useful and fruitful. But let us remember the if. If you possess these qualities, in other words, you must possess these qualities. They must exist, and they must be increasing. The word increasing here is not like the 5% return or 10% return on something, on a stock or a growth or whatever, but instead understood as overflowing. It ought to be oozing out of our lives. People ought to see us walking and see the ooze coming out of us. I like graphic descriptions like that. It helps me think. These virtues need to be increasing in our lives by way of overflowing out of us. These virtues are the result of faith that has been given to us. Not works added by way of someone is, that someone is converted. We understand not a salvation by faith and works. No, it's a salvation by faith that produces these works that are non-negotiable. They will be there. James chapter 2, uh, we're close by James. Um, he has something to say here on faith and works. James chapter 2, let's just go there. Let's read this. Chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing, he gives examples here, James does, is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, 
and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So James, having something similar to say, these fruits, these virtues that Peter lays out for us, in Second Peter, are to be existent and are to overflow out of our lives so that indeed we will be useful and fruitful. And that is our aim. That should be our aim this upcoming week, Lord willing. If the Lord does not come. This upcoming week, if the Lord tarry, if we're allowed to live each and every day, God, I want to be useful and I want to be fruitful. I want to be useful to your kingdom and I want to be fruitful, O Lord. Our aim as we follow Christ. When these virtues are abounding in us, we will not be useless or idle, nor unfruitful or unproductive. The word useless or ineffective, as the NIV would say, is used in Matthew chapter 20, speaking of the idle workers who waste the day in the marketplace instead of laboring as they should. Like someone who would um, be on the clock and but just waste time. Just milking the clock, I think this, the term is. Instead of laboring away, being idle, unfruitful, unproductive. The application for us to consider is God has gifted each and every one of us. He has put each one of us in our spheres of influence. Work, ministry, tasks. Not to waste our lives nor waste our time. We all have spheres of this upcoming week, do we not? Uh, we have work relationships. We have family relationships. We have strangers that we come in contact with. We have ministries that we participate, that we serve in. And God has gifted each one of us, and we are to be, indeed, useful and fruitful and not idle. James 2.20, as we just read, says, Faith without works is useless, ineffective. The parable of the soils also comes to mind as well. And this is similar to what Paul says. I'll just read this for you. You can write it down if you want. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read it really quickly. Verse 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And Paul mentions something here that we have to pause and make sure that we understand, that these works must be spirit-led, and we must be praying, God, help me be useful and fruitful, not saying, oh, I'm going to be useful and fruitful this week, relying on our own strength. We will fall, and we will fall hard, and it will be worthless. Tom Schreiner says, Peter thought that believers must practice godly virtues to receive the eschatological blessings of eternal life. But he also was saying that those who lack godly virtues and are not abounding with them give no indication that they are believers. Again, he also was saying that those who lack godly virtues and are not abounding with them give no indication that they are believers. Some strong words, true words indeed, bringing us to verse 9. Verse 9, first, useful and fruitful. Secondly, nearsighted and negligent. Nearsighted and negligent. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Okay, again, we say what qualities? The qualities that were just listed in verse 5 through 7. First of all, the word blind here is not the meaning of one who is blinded to the gospel. As we would say, um, as we would explain, as a lost person has been blinded um, in their own sin and, and blinded by uh, the God, lowercase g, of this world to the gospel, to the things of the Lord. Indeed, that is true, but this is not what uh, Peter is speaking of here. For he who lacks these qualities, blind or short-sighted, haven't forgotten his purification from his former sins. In other words, he is a believer, but he has forgotten these things. We know this because the second part of this verse. Blind and short-sighted or nearsighted. These two used together for an emphasis. Blind and short-sighted or nearsighted. And a few options of what this could mean specifically. It could be specifically one uh, possibility is that he is saying you are shutting your eyes or you're squinting so that you cannot see anything. You're deliberately going this way when you know you need to be doing this. So you're squinting away in order that you will not see clearly. Or they are squinting, another option, squinting to see better because they are not doing what they are supposed to do in order to see clearly. Because what do we do sometimes? We need to see far away. We squint. In order to have clear vision, we need to take care of our eyes, do we not? I remember my mom used to tell me to eat a bunch of carrots because they're good for your eyes. Well, I eat more carrots than a rabbit does, and I have terrible vision. So, I don't know what the story is with that, but, but in verse 9, they can still see, but not well. It's like when you go to the eye doctor, 
which I did recently. You go there, they tell you to wear your contacts. Okay, you go there, you wear your contacts, bring your glasses. All right, you go there and they say, well, take your contacts out. Now you take your contacts out, take your glasses away, and then they do all these things to you and tell you to see. And you can't. And they have to help you with these things. They dilate your pupils and ask you to see things. But you can still see, just not as you ought to see. If you lack these things that Peter is speaking here, that is written in the word of God, there's a problem. There's a big problem. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, they need to be reminded. Having forgotten. What have they forgotten about their cleansing or purification from their former sins? We can forget these things. That's why we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And we ought to never get over hearing the gospel. For example, if I am preaching the word of God or someone is here is preaching the word of God and the gospel is intertwined with, with the message, which it ought to be, sometimes it is at the end of a message. That is not the time to go this and do this and zip up this and this. This I've heard this time hundred times before. That's the time to say, praise God that he has opened my eyes and opened my heart to what this man is saying right now. I can understand. And let it, God, never be old to me. Let it be fresh to me. Let my heart always be soft to the gospel of Jesus Christ, never hardened, never to get old. Let me never forget of the purification from my former sins, O Lord. We see this purification used in several places. I'm just going to read one. You don't have to turn there. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I'm just going to read it. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So indeed, he is the one. Christ is the one who made purification of sins. But we, indeed, as Christians, have been purified of our sins. Here in Peter, this cleansing, interesting, as we consider uh, this, this cleansing could be referring to water baptism. Why is that? Only because all believers in the New Testament, as we read, were baptized immediately or shortly thereafter. As Tom Schreiner puts it again, they would naturally recall their baptism when they thought about being cleansed from sin. And the water of baptism would remind them that they were cleansed from their sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand water baptism does nothing for salvation. But when someone's converted and they understand the gospel, they should say, where is the water? I see the command to be baptized. Show me and baptize me. That's what we see in the New Testament. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. I'll read this for us as well. 22, verse 16. Now, why do you delay? 
Paul preaching. Why do you delay? He says, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's just one example. And then there is Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I'll just read this for us. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Again, side note, as we consider, as some would erroneous believe, erroneously believe that water baptism is necessary for salvation. We, of course, there's numerous scriptures we could go to, but just a reminder for us this morning, one other uh, scripture account to go to is the thief on the cross that turned to the Lord Jesus Christ that indeed Jesus says today you will be with me in paradise that thief was not water baptized but went to be with the Lord so we remember that as well so we as Christians are to be useful and fruitful when we consider orthodoxy and orthopraxy how then must we live we got to be careful not to be near uh, nearsighted or negligent and therefore, we are called to diligence and certainty. Diligence and certainty in verse 10. Diligence and certainty. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Be diligent. A word that Peter uses again in verse 15 as well. We see that. We're right here. Verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Paul says this as well. I'll read this for you. Second Timothy 2.15 if you're writing things down, which you should be. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Be Diligent, he says, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Paul to Timothy, the application for all believers as well, to accurately handle the word of God and to be diligent in these things. Here in 2 Peter, he's saying be diligent all the more about uh, his calling and choosing you. His elective call to you that had nothing to do with you, all had to do with God, to which you had the responsibility to respond to. He highlights and reminds us of the grace of God, that he is the one who saves but the emphasis he puts here is to be diligent to make certain about these things of his calling and election of you. How? Well, election is taught throughout the scripture. We understand that. God's choosing is certain. Well, we look and we say, how do we more... How are we to be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you? Well, 
For one thing, it says right here in the second part of the verse, for as long as you practice these things, you will never, never stumble. As long as you practice these virtues that you are called to, that is evidence of your faith that God has done in you, these virtues in verse 5 through 7, you will never stumble. And we'll talk about what that stumbling means in a moment. But also, these evidences that God has indeed called you and chose you. Well, there's two main uh, headings here. First, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And secondly, the Spirit of God's testimony within our hearts. A couple of scriptures to go to. And you can go with me if you'd like, or you can stay where you are. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 1 John 3, 10 through 14. <clears throat> Again, evidences. God, I want, God, I'm struggling with my salvation, someone would say, or Lord, I... I want to make sure of the, my election and my calling. Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is, is not of God. So there's one way we know. Okay, so someone's living in a way contrary to what we're called to live. They're not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Another way, be surprised, brethren, excuse me, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Okay, so there's another way. We say, wow, as a Christian, I realize the world uh, and those who are not Christian really don't like me much anymore. Or those who I used to run with no longer want to run with me any longer. Or my family definitely treats me different now. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Does not mean that we go out and say, well, I just want to be hated by the world, so I'm going to go do something. No, of course not. We live and walk before the Lord. We follow him. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So practical way with, with this is our brothers and sisters in Christ, even within the local church that we could have hatred and malice and bitterness towards, which is wicked and evil and should not be named among us. And we need to deal with that in our hearts. And we need to ask God, God, give me the heart to love all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, even as they would sin against me. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 1 John 3, we see some evidences there. And then Galatians, of course, we don't have to go there this evening, but we can read it for your homework, the, the fruit of the Spirit. When we see the fruit, well, let's go there. Let's be reminded. I'm going to go there. I need to be reminded. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Remember, Paul here gives contrast again. The deeds of the flesh are these. Boom, boom, boom. And he lays them out. 
And then a fruit of the Spirit are these. Boom, boom, boom. And he lays them out. He says, this is what you are. This is who you used to be. This is what you must be. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let's not do that, he says. So the evidences of our calling and election, we see with what John says in 1 John, we see with what Paul says, dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And then we see the testimony of Uh, the Spirit's testimony within our hearts. We're in Galatians. If you just turn back to chapter 4, if you happen to be there with me, and verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Only the child of God cries out this way because the Spirit of God resides within us. And then one more verse. Romans 8 and verse 16. Very, I'll just read it. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit of God testifies within us that we are children of God. So, two main headings. These evidences of our calling and election that we are to be made sure of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, the Spirit's testimony within our hearts, and of course, what Peter says in these verses here to be evident within us as we go back to 2 Peter. Peter says, for as long as you practice these things, this present active, not past tense, present ongoing, practicing these things, you will never stumble. What things? Again, these virtues. Verse 5 through 7. Salvation produces fruit, right? You will never stumble. In the Greek here, there's a double negative. Again, the double negative, when we see that, it's never, no way, not going to happen. This is the stumbling as to falling. Probably meaning Sin, as it does in James, you can uh, look at the scriptures later, James 2 and verse 10, and James chapter 3, verse 2. This stumbling as to commit, um, to the point of committing apostasy or walking away from the Lord. I've never met a Christian in my life that never stumbled at some point in a way that we trip and then God lifts us. We trip, we fall, God raises us back up. We trip, we fall again, God raises us back up. We stumble in different areas in our lives. But stumbling as to fall, to say, I'm out of here and leave the things we once held to or someone once held to, to commit apostasy, is not going to happen for a child of God. And proof of that is the virtues that are within us that we live out, these fruits in our lives. As long as you practice these things, in other words, be diligent, brother and sister, to practice these things, present, active, you will never stumble. 
Believers who continue bearing fruit as the scripture describes will never fall away from God. Why? Because it's evidence that they are walking with the Lord. A daily cultivation takes place in the life of believers by which they would walk this way and avoid falling away from the living God. So we are to be useful and fruitful, nearsighted and negligent. We are not to be. We are to be diligent and certain of our call and our election. And then, fourthly, we are to be entering and continuing. We are to enter and to continue. Let's get the ING off there. To enter and to continue. Verse 11. Now, Paul keeps going back. Or Paul, Peter, keeps going back to these previous verses. And he does this again in verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The way, keeping the virtues of verse 5 through 7, which are mentioned again in verse 10. He says, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You will never commit apostasy. Those who practice and continue these godly qualities are ones that enter into heaven. Why? Because of by their works? No. By their faith that God has given to them, which produces these works, which are evidences of their salvation. And indeed, those who continue on living this way will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Peter's concern here is that his readers enter into the kingdom. And this is the contrast to chapter 2 of the false teachers, the false teachings, and false brethren. Peter is insisting that one cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven without living a godly life. Not salvation by works, but a salvation that produces these works described in Scripture. These are uh, works, attributes, virtues that God produces in his people. Notice the kingdom is his kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The entrance is his way. Right? The one way. The narrow gate. How to live and how we are to live is is up to him. He sets the rules, as it were. He tells us, indeed, how we are to live. And he gives us, by the Holy Spirit, the ability to walk this way he has called us to. The term eternal kingdom has an eschatological focus here. And we see an eschatological focus here threaded out through 2 Peter. It will be abundantly supplied to all who follow the Lord when his kingdom is firmly and finally inaugurated in the future. There is the tension, though, of the already and the not yet. As Christians, we are in the kingdom of God. We are in his kingdom 
Colossians, again, chapter 1, verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're already in. But there is the tension of the already and not yet. We await the inauguration of the eternal kingdom, the eschatological focus. And Paul and and Barnabas said in Acts 14, verse 22, as they were pleading with the people and they were encouraging them, through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. So we hear, we see that Paul says in Colossians, you have been rescued and transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. God did this. Also, through many tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of God. And there is the future of the kingdom as well, which Peter speaks of here. The future aspect of the kingdom of God, eschatologically, provides motivation for holy living now. We do not want to merely escape the flames of hell, although, praise God, we do by his grace. But do we not want to hear from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant? Don't we want to finish well, living for the Lord now and finish well, being useful and fruitful, careful not to be nearsighted and negligent and to be diligent and certain of our call and our election and to be sure and know that we have entered into his kingdom and we are continuing by his grace to walk in his kingdom and we will sing to the lord we'll praise his name again and then i will pray for us